0: If you would, open with me your Bibles. We're going to continue studying the life of Elijah. And turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to read a good portion of this. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. Because I want to lay out the the story of what's taking place now. 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah In the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so, when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, go into the land, unto all the fountains of water, and unto all the brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land before them to pass throughout. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another by himself. And Obadiah was in the way, as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him And he knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou that, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said, He is not here, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation... That they may be that they found thee not, and now thou sayest, go, tell my Lord, behold Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from thee, that the spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not, and so when I am come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me, but I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my my youth, was it not told, my Lord? What I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now thou sayest, go, tell my Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Okay? So we got the... We got the uh, the actual account here of what's taken place. And so finally, you know, the word of the Lord had come to uh, Elijah th- about three and a half years before and said, go hide thyself, right? Go hide thyself by the brook Cherith after the first time. Now he says, go show yourself to Elijah. And, and once again, what do we see from Elijah but implicit and immediate, immediate obedience? He, beca- he goes to show himself. Uh, to Ahab. Go show yourself to Ahab. And he, he goes to do it. And the nation was pretty much in, in ruins. The land was in ruins, right? Because of the, the drought, which resulted in a famine. And as he's walking through, he's going to Samaria, and that's where Ahab's going to be. And he's the the Bible makes a point to say that there was a sore famine in Samaria. And so sore means bad or mighty, like must have been extra bad in Samaria, okay? And so here's Elijah walking through from from Zarephath, okay, where he was with the widow woman for, I think, most of the time, probably during that three and a half years, he was there with the widow woman. However long it was, we've said the total period from the first meeting with Ahab to the one he's about to have right here is three and a half years. And he knows it was by his word that all this devastation came. You know, and so he's looking at the devastation. If it were not for him knowing God's going to turn this thing around, it would have been almost hopeless. You know what I mean? He's the one that prayed at the word of the Lord that there wouldn't be rain, but according to his word. So he didn't know if it was going to be th- three days or three weeks or three years or how long it would be, or 30 years. But he was waiting, and the Lord said, go show yourself to Elijah, and I will send rain upon the earth. So he's got his marching orders, and he has the promise of the Lord. He's told what he's going to do, and he's told what God is going to do. And it's wonderful to hear God so clearly and just step out on that and walk, walk in that. And that's another thing we want to just learn from this man's life. But again, if he have just looked at the devastation without having the hope of the Lord that God works all things together for good, that God has a purpose in this to turn the nation back to him, a nation which had forsaken him, to turn him back, it would have been unbearable just to walk through and say, everything's dying. All the trees, you know, all the all the, the harvest. There's no harvest. All the 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 plants, the crops, the animals are dying. People are dying. I'm sure, and uh, but but the Lord sends him, and and it, once again we don't see a fear on his part, and, and that's because he that's because he stood in the presence of the Lord as he said, as the Lord God liveth, he told Obadiah before whom I stand, in whose presence I stand. So wherever he was, whether he was talking to Ahab, whether he was hiding by a brook by himself in the wilderness and ravens were feeding him, whether he was in a foreign land in Zarephath with a widow woman that he didn't really know and her son uh, being sustained there, he was still in the presence of God. That's a very simple truth, but it's wonderful to know that there, we don't check in and check out with God. You know, see, I'm going, I'm going off here, God. Uh, we want to live in his presence and stay in his presence. And that gave him this confidence uh, to do everything he did. We talked about the spirit of the Lord upon him and the Holy Ghost in and upon him. I just want to read this from Psalm 27. You don't have to turn there. The Lord is my light and my salvation, David said. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Knowing that the Lord was with him, okay, knowing that he was in his presence. Again, not only knowing he was a Christian, so to speak, I know he's a follower of Jehovah, but knowing he was in the will of God every step he took, he was in the will of God. The safest place you can be in your life is in the will of God. I don't care if God sends you by yourself into the middle of, you know, some hostile situation and you're the only person there. If he sends you to a Muslim country where it's illegal to bring Bibles or whatever, wherever he sends us, if we're in the will of God, that's the safest place to be. Just remember that. That's where we want to be. Amen. And so what 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 Elijah was confident in was not only that the Lord was with him, but the Lord was going to turn the whole situation around to bring the nation back to him. He was confident in this, and there's a scripture that uh, he, he was hoping that Ahab and the people right that had forsaken God and followed after Baal and Ashtarte and these other gods they had torn out, torn down one of the first orders of business for the new administration of Ahab and Jezebel was to tear down the altars of Jehovah throughout the land. Can you imagine? It's the Lord's land. He says, I've made a covenant with the land. The land is mine, okay? You're my people, uh, and so forth. And, and the first order of business, or so one of them was to tear down all the, the altars of Jehovah and to kill his prophets. They hunted them down. Jezebel had them literally hunted down and slaughtered. And, and then to rear up altars to Baal, and a temple to Baal. Okay, so now the new sanctioned religion of the, of the day is Baal worship. We talked about that when we first started. But there's a scripture in Jeremiah 2.19. I'll just read it. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God. What's the whole point of the drought? What's the whole point of the famine and the drought? It is, it is to, to turn backsliding Israel back to the Lord, okay? And, and what ought to happen is like Jeremiah is, is speaking the same type of thing to his people Israel and to Judah in the midst of the Babylonian captivity. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. He said this is a wicked and bitter evil thing that you have forsaken the Lord thy God. I believe that's where our country is, not every person, but our country as a whole has forsaken the Lord. It was certainly started. You don't have to be a Christian to know that the roots and foundations, though far from perfect, of our country were Christian. Okay, Christian. They weren't Muslim, they weren't atheists, they weren't Hindus, they weren't Buddhist, they they weren't Christian. And we have forsaken the Lord. And God, we're praying that would turn us back to Him. But anyway, this, this famine is sore. He's going and he's, he's walking back, and on his way, uh, he, he meets Obadiah. Before I get to that, I want to point out one more thing about Ahab, real quickly. It's real interesting to see the selfishness of Ahab. But when you're away from God and actually an enemy of God in rebellion against God, what would you expect? Where do you see the selfishness? His, he said to Obadiah in verse 3, Obadiah was his governor. Obadiah feared the Lord. We're going to spend the rest of the night talking about Obadiah in, just a, in a, just a moment. But he says, look, why don't you, we need to go throughout the land. Obadiah, you go this way. You take this half, and I'll take this half. Literally, can we find any grass, green grass, and can we find any water to save who? The horses. People are dying. People are suffering. He ought to say, well, we can get some, I found a spring over here that's got some water. You know, we'll, we'll dish it out to the people. All he was concerned about, he wanted to save some of his horses from his stable and some of the mules. He was more concerned about these beasts, honestly, than he was about people created in the image of God. And it's, uh, it's selfish. And don't think that we don't see the t- same type of of selfishness here in our day. We do. But uh, I want us to spend the rest of the night tonight talking about this man Obadiah. All we really know of Obadiah is what we read in this chapter. And we're not going to read about him more. And the Bible doesn't talk about him more. The Bible doesn't speak, uh, I guess you would say, critically of him. But there are some things I want to talk. And just in this light, I want us to look at the life of Elijah. And and he speaks about, as the Lord God liveth before whom I stand continually. I'm in his presence continually. And Obadiah. Both feared God. Both did things for the Lord that would have been notable. Okay? Uh, Specifically, we know what, what Obadiah did, right? He was in the king's court. He was the king's governor. And so he had a prominent position with this king who is a a Baal worshiper, and his wife is a big-time Baal worshiper, okay? And he's in this administration, I guess you would say. And he, when when the prophets were being slain, the true prophets of Jehovah, they're hunting them down, they're killing them. It it was not arresting them for six weeks. They were killing them. He he found a hundred of them or knew where they were, hid them, Somehow or another, he managed to feed them and give them water to sustain them in caves, okay? In a cave, they were split up in groups of 50. That's a notable thing right there. It's 100 people. Somehow, he's getting food and water to them. There's nothing we can be critical about Obadiah for that, but I still want us to look. There, is still no, there are notable differences between, I guess you would say, the faith and the stance of Elijah and the Christianity of Elijah. I know it's an old, he's an old testament saint, and the Christianity of Obadiah. And I just want to point some of these things out. It is not the thought and intent is not to be harsh with Obadiah. He did more than most, uh, I would think. Okay? Far more than most. But but out of his own mouth, we're going to see that there are some things uh, that were where he he didn't stand to the point where he could have stood, okay? And so uh, there was some type of lack of strength, I guess you would say, in his character, some type of lack of strength. And again, I'm going to reiterate this. I'm not trying to be critical. I want to use him as an example, I guess I would say. I want to use him as an example for our day about Christians that are Christians in name only maybe, are Christians that are Christians, and it's hard to tell their Christians, or and those that really take a stand for the Lord, uh, privately, publicly, bear His reproach outside the camp. Okay, and that's what I'm. That's how I'm going to use it. And so, first of all, I can say this: It's not. There's not a harm or a sin in and of itself for a Christian. So we'll relate it to our day. Obadiah was in this king's uh, administration. Let's say right. It's not a harm for a Christian in our day or in any day to have a position in a governmental position or some place that would be secular or some place that would have authority and power that might be ungodly, like our current administration right now. God may put them there for a reason to spare a 100 prophets, okay? Uh, He might put them there in key positions, which would be just like the Lord to do, but I will say this, it would be, it's not a sin to to do that, especially if the Lord's the one that puts you there, but it is very possible for, and you'd have to agree for a person in that position to, to compromise. In other words, they keep their position at a cost of their principles. They keep their position possibly at a cost of of a stance for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm simply saying it's possible. I'm not saying Obadiah did this. Very few people could do that without dropping something of their boldness for the Lord. Okay? So in the political correct environment in which we live and someone's uh, going to be the you know the president of a university when all this PC stuff is being pushed or, or be uh, work for a president of a university like his next right-hand man or woman, and they're a believer, and, they're, and the, the temptation can be they're going to have to walk a tightrope to try to please the Lord and try to keep their position. Now, if it's the Lord, he will allow them to do it, and they will be able to do it. But if it's simply a person trying to hang on to their position— at a cost of their Christianity or their, their witness or their testimony for Christ, then that's another, right? That's another thing altogether. I'm not saying that Obadiah did this, but I want to use Obadiah as a, as a means to talk about this subject. And so there are people that can be in those positions that don't want to carry their Christianity too far. You understand what I'm saying? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to go overboard. And and as I'm talking about Obadiah, for example, I want you to keep in mind the difference between him and Elijah. They were totally different. Totally different in their boldness for the Lord and their testimony for the Lord. And again, we're studying the life every Wednesday night for however many months of Elijah, not Obadiah. Because of his stance that he took for the Lord. John the Baptist came in the power and the spirit of Elijah, not of Obadiah. And there's a reason for that. And so... I'm sure that Obadiah did not like what was going on in his country. He didn't go along with the uh, the stance of killing the prophets of God and so forth. He he did not agree with it. He didn't like it. He might have wept over it, but he didn't take it so far as to. And I thought about this. He didn't identify himself with those prophets either. Not that he was a prophet, but when these prophets were being killed. He snuck away somehow, and I don't know how he did it. The Lord made a way for him to sustain 100 people and hide them out for three and a half years. That's pretty remarkable. But he didn't say, Ahab, this is a sinful thing you're doing. I'm a follower of Jehovah. Do you understand what I'm saying? What's the difference in Elijah who says, as the Lord God, Jehovah lives before whom I stand? He didn't fear Ahab but when when Obadiah met uh Elijah, it just seems suddenly to him, all of a sudden he looks up and there's Elijah, and he literally says, "The king and the armies have been hunting you down for three and a half years. they've been hunting you down, and uh Elijah's not scared of any of this he's going he's going to very, very boldly okay stand for the lord and it's like the like the apostles on the day of Pentecost. It's like Peter standing up and saying, "We're not drunk." It's it's uh, it's like Joshua saying, it's, "Choose you this day whom you're going to serve." It's a boldness to stand up and uh, identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought about others, and I'm, I'm kind of jumping around, but there's others in the Bible. You can probably think of some. Who were some others in the Bible that had positions similar to Obadiah? In other words, they were rulers in the land under somebody that was not godly. I think about Daniel. He was at least three or four kings, you know, in two empires, Babylon and Persia. There were the three Hebrew boys that had positions of authority. There was Joseph in Egypt. and There there are others that we see, but it would take a, a special kind of person to do that and not compromise. Those people, especially we can look at Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, They did not compromise. In other words, they cared more about serving God than their position. God put them in that position, but they weren't trying to maneuver a little tightrope and see how I can get through here, keep my position. I'm not saying Obadiah did it, but I'm using him for an example. They didn't maneuver cleverly with the worldly wisdom and try to keep one foot in the administration and one foot with with the Lord. Daniel, when he knew that the declaration was signed, that nobody could pray for 30 days or ask any petition other than to the king, he opened his window like he always did, knelt down and prayed. There was no, I'm gonna, well, I gotta, oh, if I do that, maybe I'll go in my closet this time and pray. So that's what I'm talking about. There there's a difference, and there's one that is really of God and honors the Lord, and that God can use. It's that bold testimony. It's the ones that's spoken of in the tribulation period, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. That's what every one of us is called to do and be. I want to be like Elijah, not so much like Obadiah, although I'm thankful for what he did. God did use him for a purpose. But you see the difference, right? We do see the difference. And what was when Elijah and Obadiah did meet, what was Obadiah's number one concern? I think he said it three times. If I go leave you here and I turn around and go tell my Lord, he says, and Elijah goes, you go tell your Lord. It was almost, I don't know if he meant something by that or not. Uh, You go tell your Lord. I stand in Jehovah's presence. You go tell your Lord. Um, that I'm Elijah is here. And three times Obadiah says, if I do that, he's going to kill me because he's going to kill. Three times he was worried about his life. You know, either the, the Holy Ghost is going to carry you off somewhere and you won't be here when I come back or you'll leave or something and we'll show up back here at this spot and you'll be gone. Ahab's going to kill me. Three times he was worried about his own life. Elijah's not worried about his own life. His life is God's already. And if we would look at it, and if I would look at my life that way, then there's not a real fear in dying if we're in God's will. It's already gone. It's already been bought with a price. I'm already crucified with Christ. Right? And so th- this is a difference between these two men as well. It's easy to be critical. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to, to make a, a point. Okay? Make a point. I want to. Uh, you keep your spot there. But turn to John chapter 11. Sorry, that's that's the wrong verse. I apologize, but uh, Esther is another one, y'all. Esther, who uh, who hazarded her life. What did she say? She was the queen, right? She was the queen to the king, and all of her people were going to be destroyed by an edict that was given. And what does she say? She says, "I'm going to go." Mordecai says, "You better go. Not hold your peace at such a time as this. This is not the time." To, to hold your peace, okay? God can send deliverance, and if, if it's not by you, he'll send it by another way. But don't think that you're going to escape this if I just hold in your peace. So what does she say? Pray for me. Pray and fast. Me and my maidens will do the same, and then I'll go in before the king, and if I die, I die. There again, you see the boldness. There's a difference. There's a difference because somebody that would be uh, trying to hang on to both positions, they're not going to go that far. They're going to take it this far and they're going to stop. If I go this far, I'm going to get fired. If I get go this far, I'm going to get demoted. If I go this far, I'm going to be whatever. I'm going to really cause trouble at work or at school or in my family or, or in the nation or whatever it may be. And so they draw a line, but we can't draw a line where God doesn't draw the line. We need to have boldness for the Lord to step out as he leads us. We don't go looking for trouble, but we walk in the will of God. We stand in his presence, and there is something that's called uh, expedient Christianity. I think Paris Rehead talks about it in 10 shekels in a shirt. And I, really, I looked up that word because I thought this is what it would be. This would be expedient Christianity where you're, you're, you're using your Christianity, like I said, a fine balancing act to try to keep the best of this world over here in your position and your influence and to try to keep a foot in heaven as well with the Lord over here. This is the person that would hide the prophets, but they're not going to speak out and identify themselves with the prophets or the people of God that are being slaughtered. You understand what I'm saying? There is a difference in expediency. I looked it up. Uh, the word means the quality of being convenient and practical, listen to this, this is the actual de- definition the quality of being convenient and practical, despite possibly being improper or immoral. When we're in a position like that, the temptation can be to compromise. And then do we excuse it by saying, Well, I'm doing more good by my position as lieutenant governor or vice president, so I'll just keep my mouth shut. I can stand for a few good things. And so I'll just keep my mouth shut. I don't want to take it too far. I don't want to take it too far. That would be expedient in the sense of it would be what's convenient, a Christianity that's convenient, a Christianity that is practical in the sense of, uh, but I could possibly be um, uh, improper or immoral. To me, that would be the compromise. What's the real compromise with someone like Obadiah? Okay, The compromise that I see is not the the good work that he did and not that he feared the Lord greatly. The compromise would have been he didn't rebuke sin. And there are times in our lives we have to rebuke sin. It's not enough to be the silent majority and always say, inwardly, I'm against that. I'm against what's happening in our country right here or this law that was passed or that movement or what's happened. I'm against that and I don't participate in that. A lot of people don't participate in a lot of things that are wrong, but we're not just to be sugar, okay? We're to be salt, and there are times that we are to rebuke sin. There are times that we are to call out sin. There are times that we are to point out sin. This is what Elijah's about to do, about to do, okay? When he talks to Ahab, and, and this is weeks ahead, and when he Uh, in the soon coming weeks, where he's going to call the people together and make this challenge. If the Lord's God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. There has to be in us uh, something that would rebuke the sin around us. But if I'm always just sticking my hand over my mouth, God's leading me by the unction of his word to say something, but I don't want to lose my position. And we, we can rationalize, well, I'm doing more good by staying in the position. We have to be careful. Is that it's something you decide or is that something God decided? You're doing more good. Maybe it's time for you to open your mouth. I'm just saying, for the one that would be an expedient Christian, practical and convenient, but not standing against sin. And so I look at someone Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter eleven. This is one of my favorite passages, and you know when when we our church first started, we did a, a study on the book of Hebrews, and this has always been uh, really spoken to me. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith Moses. When he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Is that not a perfect example of what we're talking about? Pharaoh's daughter. He, he, he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he got to some place in his life where it was it was either or. He wasn't gonna try to keep both. Well, I could I could I could try to play this little game and you know, be kind, and people say Moses sure is kind. Well, that's a Christ like quality. But at some point, we have to take a stand for the Lord. I know lots of people. I know some of my best friends that I went to junior high and then high school and college with were some of the kindest people I knew, and they weren't born again. They literally were kinder than most Christians I know. They would give you the shirt off your back, their back. They would have done anything for me. I was their buddy, and I would have done anything for them, but they didn't know Jesus. To some point, there has to be that testimony of Christ in us. That's all I'm saying. And we need to be careful. Am I I in this position in the will of God, and and, am I trying to hang on to it to make it my own? Because Daniel did not. He prayed to Jehovah knowing that the law was signed, knowing that the penalty was to be cast in the lion's den, and he still did it. Okay, the three Hebrews did the same thing and refused to bow. And so by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He made a choice, and it was an identification. It was a choice to identify with Christ. And all the way down the line, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Obadiah didn't suffer with those that were being persecuted for Jehovah's sake. He didn't suffer with them. He was warm and fed, and everything was probably very comfortable for him in the king's palace. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that's a sin. I'm saying it could be, and we need to be careful. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward." By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That says a mouthful right there. What if God put him in that position? And what if God, you know, could use him? I I pray God did put him in that position. I pray God would use people in our day in those positions. I really do. But they better be careful, whoever it is and whoever we are, not to just be using that as an excuse. Well, I can't go too far. I can't go too far. Daniel went too far. But we're still talking about Daniel. By faith, Daniel. Right? The three Hebrew boys went too far. And we're still talking about them. We're still talking about Elijah and the like. Because there's a boldness in them to stand. So I'll say it for the fifth time. Not trying to be critical of Obadiah. I'm trying to point out a characteristic that could be common with him. And with Christians in our day. Amen? David Uh, I'm sorry, Esther, she says, if I die, I die. No more trying to hang on. Well, it sure is comfortable in that palace. And I got everything I ever wanted, you know. And she could have held her peace, and maybe they wouldn't find out she was actually Jewish or Hebrew, you know. Uh, Mordecai said, no, it's not going to work like that. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You go in and talk to the king, don't hold your peace. Well, it had to muster all the courage she had and, and God's strength and grace, but she already had resigned. If I've di- I'm going to go talk to the king on behalf of my people for God's sake, and if I die, I die. Hallelujah. That's why we're still talking about Esther. Amen? And I want us to be, I want us, God would have us, and I want to have such a testimony as that. These people, that they were compromised. They never rebuke sin. And it, it's like... Uh, they find excuses and reasons not to do it. They're sorry for those that are persecuted, but they don't want to carry it too far. Because in their estimation, it's too costly. It's too costly. Amen. And so, um, as I, again, I, don't, I just don't want to, to talk too to much uh, about Obadiah as though he was some compromiser. Two things, and we'll close with this, two things. Why doesn't it work? You know, there are people that will say we need to get uh, involved, and I would agree. I think Christians should be getting involved in the world, but we're in the world but not of the world. So if you're getting involved with the world means for you partaking in the world's festivities and the things that are not of God, then that's not for us. If getting involved means that you get elected to the school board and you can help fight in that sense from that angle for godly curriculum in the schools, then hallelujah, if you can do that without compromising the Lord. Because he's not going to bless the compromiser anyway. He's not going to do it. So the whole thought of we need to get in there, get in there, hallelujah. But if you better be, uh, and I better be of the moral character and strength in the Lord to be able to do that and not compromise. We better know it before getting in there because it ends up being much worse. But why doesn't, why didn't it work? It doesn't necessarily work to try to say, well, I'm just going to get out there in the world. We are to go in the world. We're to go in the world as salt and light and as disciples of Christ, right? But to get out in the world and sort of I've even read of pastors and people, they're going to go sit in a bar with a beer in their hand, hoping to strike up a conversation with somebody in the bar bar room about Jesus. Why don't you stand outside, you know, catch him going in and say, don't go in there. I got something way better for you. River of life is better than that alcohol you're going to drink in there. I'm not saying that they're going to get saved, but if they're going to get saved, it's probably going to be that way rather than sitting in the bar with them drinking a beer. It's not biblical. Okay? It's not biblical. Two things about that type of of mindset. Um, It's it's not biblical and it doesn't work. It's not biblical and it doesn't work. Number one would be enough. It's not biblical. Okay? But it's not biblical and it doesn't work. Think about how much easier it would have been if he, on Elijah and, and uh, the three Hebrew boys and everybody if that really worked. You can just just find your little niche. You know, there were all these martyrs that have died over the years. They sure were wasting their time and it was pointless. No, it wasn't pointless. The blood of the martyrs, that's the root and the fertilizer that brings up the next crop of believers. Okay? Don't think it doesn't. It does. Far more than those that get themselves in some position where they're comfortable and nobody can even tell they're a Christian, because they 've taken their light. I'm not saying everybody in a high position does this, they don't, but that, you, that can be the temptation, and, and probably most often is the the reality. They take their light and they cover it and they say, "Well I'm a Christian in a high position, I've got such influence." Well, those that had the greatest influence are the ones that were outside the camp. Elijah came walking in there and said, I'm here, Ahab. You understand what I'm saying? What a difference. He wasn't buddy-buddy with him. He wasn't eating at the dinner table. He was living in the presence of God, and God says, go show yourself to Elijah. I'm going to do something now. And he got up and he went, and he didn't fear Elijah because he feared Almighty God and stood in his presence. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, but he also feared dying at the hands of Ahab. And and Elijah didn't fear that. It's not biblical to try to 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 live that life and it doesn't work. Just a couple of things and and we'll close. It's direct opposition with the teaching and the teachings of the Lord. Okay. Moses, we read about him, he had to come out. God could not use him being the man that he was in Pharaoh's house to affect, to affect that nation to deliver God's people. He had to get him out, didn't he? He got him out. He was 40 years in the backside of the desert. And then God says, you're an outsider now. You're an outsider now. You're not part of the establishment and what's going on. You're going to deliver my people. No strings attached anymore to Egypt. And that's the kind of man I can promise you that God uses in the woman. He's going to use the one that is an outsider that is definitely without question uh, a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ and stands on or falls on that alone. And uh, we know the scripture, I'll just read it. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Again, I'll say it again. It's not a sin to be in a position in a worldly or uh, uh, ungodly administration or government. If God's put you there and he's going to use you for a time and for a purpose. But if we're there and we start to like it and we want to find that expedient Christianity where we can keep this and not go too far with our Christianity so we can hang on to our position we can excuse it by saying, hey, well, i got more influence here. No, you don't have more influence. You've a salt that's lost your savor. And you're good for nothing. You're good for nothing. And so it's not biblical amen and so jesus died without the camp it says in hebrews and the cry to you and me is let us therefore go outside the camp bearing his reproach outside the camp not doesn't mean we just have to move out of town means outside of what's going on in the world in the world system that i'm going to be uh looked at as being a spectacle and strange, and people don't get it, and people don't understand. Because, wow, the Bible says we're pilgrims, we're strangers and pilgrims. What was Elijah would have been a stranger and pilgrim. They would have all stared at him. He was not part of what was going on. He was totally, everybody knew he stood for the Lord God Almighty. Everybody knew it. He was the reason it hadn't rained for three and a half years. The power of his prayer, Right. He was totally outside the camp, and then God sent him back in It's time that's the one God's going to use, and we need to remember that that's totally what's being preached tonight and what we read in the scriptures about being separate uh, and we read about Elijah's life is totally opposite of for the most part the attitude of Christianity today you know when build relationships and we want to we want to uh, it's the whole idea behind the seeker-friendly church. You know, get them in, get them in, get them in, get them in. We don't have a cross hanging up anywhere. We don't talk about the blood. We don't talk about sin. We don't talk about repentance. Get them in the church. Get them in the church, and somehow, somewhere along the way, we'll sneak in the gospel. doesn't work that way. Jesus said what you've heard in secret, proclaim it from the rooftops. Proclaim it. Live or die on that. Stand or fall upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, and identifying yourself with him. You have to be wise. not telling you to go in and do something foolish out of the will of God. I am saying that don't compromise. That's what I'm saying. Don't compromise. If you want to affect or influence the, the world in which we live, we're going to do it as an outsider. We're going to do it as an outsider. A pilgrim, a stranger, and a pilgrim. Like Elijah was. I'm gonna close with that. D, you can come. Y'all stand with me tonight. Altars are open. Let's just come and talk to the Lord. Maybe we're maybe we're guilty of some form or fashion of expedient Christianity, trying to keep our friends, trying to keep people around us. We don't want to lose them. And we're compromising Christ in the process. I would think at some point we've all done something like that. Father, we just come before you tonight, Lord, and we're telling you tonight, Lord, we want to identify with you and bear your approach like Daniel, like the three Hebrews did when commanded to bow down or be thrown in the fire. We want to, like Elijah, not be part of the world system and the sin. We want to call it out. As you would enable us and and lead us to, Father. God, forgive us of any sin and compromise in our lives, God. Trying to keep one foot in the world and one foot in in the church house, God. It's a temptation for all of us, Lord. I pray, God, that you give us great boldness. To me, that's the spirit and power of Elijah that we're talking about. It's your Holy Spirit that was upon him. Obadiah knew it was upon him. Elijah and Obadiah feared the king and Elijah feared the king of kings God we want to be the one that fears the king of kings we want to already be dead to this world and dead to this world's opinions of us and dead to any uh, harm they could bring to us we are invincible as long as we are in the will of God Elijah was invincible in the will of God And God, I pray you'd make us, this world needs this, God. It needs that testimony of Christ. They need Christ, but they need the testimony of Christ to be strong in us, Lord. I pray you'd make us that, God. I pray you'd give us boldness. I pray you'd forgive us when we've been cowards. I pray you'd forgive us when we've made excuses for our expediency, God. And we really rationalized it and made it sound really good so we could ease our own conscience. But Lord, where we've compromised its sin, I pray you would give us by the Holy Ghost boldness in this hour, Lord God, like Elijah. Thank you, Jesus.